0: for the second day in a row, the data on Kubernetes live stream. Super stoked about this one. And I really, really mean it because this is the DOK special. Getting to talk about a topic that we just simply cannot talk about enough, really. It's not something that is really talked about enough in general. So we got a lot of really high quality folks together today to address this very important topic of DEI. Uh, diversity equity inclusion we can do better we can always do better before we get started as usual just a couple announcements because as usual we have a lot of things going on the data on kubernetes community if you're going to be in london at the end of june and if you're not you still time to get a flight you'll be able to hang out with one of our speakers uh lisa who's uh, joining us today um she will be in london at the end of june for our dok in-person meetup we're going to have a panel we're going to have some lightning talks it's going to be in a really cool place um uh, a nice spot rooftop kind of cool hangout spot so anyway gonna drop the link for that in addition all right we've always got lots of stuff going on on the content side of things next week we have not one not two but three live streams i'll put the i'll put the links in here we've got one about cloud native uh cloud native pg um from our friends at uh edb so all kinds of good stuff there with uh gabriele from from edb who's going to be talking about introducing cloud-native Postgres, which hopes to become a CNCF sandbox project. I will also be dropping links for the other live streams that we'll be having next week. But that being said, we are here to talk about DEI. So to get directly into that, the first person I would like to invite on stage is Melissa, um, our director of the Data on Kubernetes community, who you definitely should know and you've seen in other content that we've done in KubeCon. Melissa, what is up? (laughs) Hey Bart, thanks for having us all on. Yes, this is the (laughs) first time actually that we're kind of doing this together. And by the way, folks, I'm gonna disappear as very, very soon. Um, But for the folks that don't know you, Melissa, can you just give a quick intro as to who you are? Oh, sure, yeah. So my name is
1: Melissa Logan. I'm director of the Data on Kubernetes community. Bart is the face, everybody knows Bart. I'm kind of behind the scenes, doing the things behind the scenes. Um, And I also run a a community marketing firm called Constantia, and we work with open source uh, companies and organizations, Um, but really excited to be here today and get into the conversation. Good.
0: That being said, as promised, what I was saying before we got started, having a conversation about diversity, equity, inclusion being driven by a white male doesn't make a lot of sense. However, I will be behind the scenes. If you've got questions as usual, folks, please put them in the YouTube chat. We want this to be as interactive as possible. If you don't wanna ask your question openly, please feel free to tag any one of our speakers on Slack or DM them to get those questions out in the open. We've Got a high quality panel with us today. So with that being said, Melissa, it's all yours.
1: All right, excellent. Well, let's bring people on stage. So we'll start with uh, Tiffany. Come on and please introduce yourself.
2: Hi, Melissa. Hi, Bart. Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Tiffany Chakcha. I'm an engineering manager at Vox Media. I am so excited to be here with you all to talk about DEI. and i It's something that is really important in our space. And I, I think there's a lot of really great conversations to be had um, in the session. So I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Awesome. And Courtney?
3: Hi. Hi, Melissa, it's been a while, um, and hi, it's really good to see you. And hi, everybody else. Um, my name is Courtney. I am a developer advocate for CubeShop. Um, I'm just really excited to be here, participated in the talk uh, during the DOK student week, and and really excited to continue the conversation.
1: Fabulous. And Alex, join us on stage.
4: Hey everyone, um, I am Alex Rowell. I'm a community manager over at Signal Wire. Uh, thanks to Bart for setting this up and to all the panelists for being willing to come back again or for joining us for the first time today.
5: Excellent. Lisa, come on stage. Thanks Melissa. Hi everyone and thanks Bart. Uh, I. I I understand the point Bart makes, but I also wanna thank Bart for being such a strong ally for us. As we know, allies are super, super important and we can talk about that. So Bart, thank you for being one of our strongest allies um, and partner in crime. Uh, I'm Lisa. Uh, Lisa Maureen Amphi and I am based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I run a very large uh, cloud native containers user group and have been running that for gosh, almost ten years now, um, CNCF user group. And uh, but my by daytime, I am the head of developer relations at Cockroach Labs, um, and I've been in the Kubernetes community f- since the beginning, essentially, and a lot of open source communities before that. So pleasure to be here with everybody.
1: Wonderful. Great to have you. And Ira.
6: Hi. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm Iraide Ruiz, and I am an engineering manager in Twilio. And apart from my official job, I also am the diversity champion for for my area. And this is a topic that I personally love. So thank you so much for inviting me to this panel. Definitely. Well, all right. Well, let's get into
1: it then. Um, So just to kind of kick things off with some context around it. So we're in... 2022. How far have we come? Let's start with this topic. It's a big, hairy topic. Um, DNI, as we all know, covers a wide range of things. Um, when we talk about, um, you know, when, w- one of the gauges that I like to look at is pay inequity. Um, this is a good gauge of how, what kind of progress are we making? Um, w- because pay inequity is a byproduct of systemic inequality. Um, women not being promoted, not being viewed as leaders, racism, retribution, you know, all of these things. A prime example, as we all know, is the U.S. women's soccer team. So this happened. This was a very prominent um, news story a couple of years ago where the women's soccer team was not being paid as much as the men's soccer team, even though they were winning, Um, winning, the uh, you know, won the World Cup. I'm not a soccer person, (laughs) but I think they won the World Cup and, uh, and the men's team was not winning, let's say. And um, I think just this year, they there was a landmark deal in which they are now going to be paid equally for this doing the same work. Um, so this is a big deal. There was a survey um, by an organization named Alpha. It's for women in tech. Um, they had 7,000 women um, submit their salaries and showed that the average women um, would need to work until March 15th to be paid what the average man would be paid. I think we're all familiar with this equal pay day. Um, this this happened just uh, recently in March, um, and it's even worse for Asian American Pacific Islanders. That's in May. Um, worse, e- even even worse for Black women, which would be in September, and horrifically bad for Latina women, which is December. So this this kind of equal pay has been stagnant at this rate for the past decade. Um, before that, there was maybe a little bit of progress. Even before that, so we're seeing I think we're seeing progress. It's really slow. Sometimes it feels like four steps forward, one step or three steps back, but it's kind of moving in the right direction. Um, I think we all know this has a lot of downstream effects over time, Um, but I'm curious to hear what you all think. Um, You know, are we seeing progress being made from your points of view in different parts of diversity and inclusion? Um, Let's say, Tiffany, you want to kick us off?
2: Yeah, Um, I think one thing to note is just the kudos on measurement. Right. Like, I think that's like the first part of the conversation is being able to say, like, how far are we, uh, where are we right now with respect to like the future down the road and in the past, right? Like, just even being able to say that there's pay inequity is like the start of the conversation. And that also counts as progress. I think a lot of times, like, we're setting like these goals and visions of like, what it could look like, what the workplace could look like, right? But it's not something that we can just like snap our fingers and change. You know, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of thought and intention and systems in place to be able to support people in underrepresented groups, people who are not being invited to the table, right? Like there's a saying um, in DE&I, right? That diversity is being invited to the party and inclusion is being asked to dance. And I think that's really important to be able to just even say like, all right, what does it look like to include other people? What does it look like to increase diversity? Like, how are we going to do these things? And how do we want to measure the impact and the progress that we're going to make in these areas? So I think that's one thing that I see we've we've come far further along in because, you know, in the past, like people just didn't there 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 weren't any conversations around it leadership wasn't willing to measure or even include them in surveys or conversations about workplace culture right and i think it's important nowadays that we're we're looking at that and that we have like brave conversations
5: around it
1: indeed indeed anyone else have any other thoughts there
5: yeah i i'll I'll jump in i i Maybe I have a little bit more of a cynical view. I think we we see these trends follow other major trends. So as we see wage gap in general, especially in the United States, get worse, right? Huge, huge between the, you know, there's like almost no middle class anymore, right? Um, I only exaggerate slightly. Um, and then we see DE&I trends following along in the same. So, you know, there's, um, if you can get the job, right? In the first place, and then the pay gap once you have the job. Um, but I think if we look at even what happened during COVID, COVID, it's impacting women more, right? The, a lot of women left the workplace and are not coming back to tech, especially. Um, so as we follow these global trends, I actually do see things getting a little bit worse. Um, but it depends on, I mean, you, I thought you segmented it really well in the beginning when you're talking about um, different groups. So in tech, uh, we may be seeing progress with Asian and Indian women a lot, a lot, a lot more. We're seeing a lot less progress with Latina um especially Native American and definitely African American women. So I think we have to look at things differently and say who is an underrepresented minority and what data do we wanna report out on because of the data that you know I, I'm looking at is uh, things are actually getting a little bit worse.
1: Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, the, you, you mentioned that there was like a, a month where it was like 100% women were leaving the workforce, I think during the pandemic. And it was horrific to see that news story Um, Ira, did you have something to add?
6: Yes, I wanted to add to the conversation that I've been having a look at the diversity report from a really big technical company from the States. And they have published some figures in relation to the percentage of female employees that they have in technology, starting in 2014 and up to 2021. We can see that uh, it's getting better, uh, about 1% every year we are increasing. However, if you have a look at the leadership Figures That looks really differently. In fact, it's dropped by by one point from 2014 to these days. So even if we are achieving a better representation in technology, there's some problem there because we cannot make it to leadership positions. And I believe that's a big part of the pay gap problem. Right.
1: Yeah, that, that rep- another gauge is what you said, right, which is representation in positions of power. So at C-suite, on boards, etc., right, we, we don't see a lot of that. And another would be, um, I don't have stats on this, maybe someone else does, but VC funding um, to women, right? We know historically this is not great. Um, I don't know if it's gotten worse during the pandemic or better, or presumably not better <laughs> um, or the same, but um, where the money goes is really important in terms of funding too. Um, anyone else have other thoughts in terms of what progress are, have we made? Do you feel like we're making progress or not?
4: I would... uh, I'll add, oh, Courtney, go ahead. Go. No,
3: go for it, Alex.
4: Okay. Um, so. We've talked a lot about the uh, like workplace side uh, on the community side. So when I'm joining, say, a tech Slack or a Discord or something, I see a lot more rules that acknowledge inclusion um, as far as like, hey, this is like these things are not tolerated in this community. I see a lot more of those rules in place. But I would say that I also don't see the level of enforcement that I would like to see. So there's a lot of acknowledgement of it, but not a lot of enforcement. And that's something that I'm noticing and trying to combat, at least in my communities. And how is it that, um, is it that you need more
1: people to raise their hand to enforce that? Is that what the problem is there? Um, You have rules in place, but you need more people to help enforce that. Is that typically how you solve it?
4: Uh, I would say, yeah, definitely having people that are members of the community, whether it's like your regular user, like someone who is a pillar of the community, speaking up and saying something, that's your allies, right? Or just creating the environment where people feel like they can talk about it. So if they did see something in a DM or something that may never come to the moderator's attention, they may never say anything about it. Um, So creating an environment in your communities where people can speak up is huge,
1: yeah, that's great. And let's come back to that topic of inclusion and communities. because I think that's a good, juicy topic. But before we get there, I want to ha- make sure, Courtney, if you want to share what your thoughts on progress and what have we made so far or not.
3: Yeah, so I think it's um, kind of a catch-22. Going off of what Lisa was saying, a lot of women leaving the workforce during COVID, I was almost one of those women. Um, just the severe pressures of having a teenager, a toddler, and a job... Um, that was work from home when I had kids at home and a husband who is working outside of the house because he wasn't confined to it in in our case was incredibly challenging. Um, and a having having those conversations as well a, in a tech company where almost everyone was a father, not a mother. Um, who had wives who were going ahead and leaving the workforce in order to confront that situation um, was a bit intimidating, to be honest, uh, to get started with that conversation. What I did find, and where I do think that we are making some progress, is that when you do start that conversation, it turns out people, uh, for the most part, and there are a lot more allies out there like Bart, uh, who who do suddenly hear you raise your hand and say, "Hey, look." Look, this this isn't this isn't balancing out for me and and they are willing to do things and change things and adjust things and at least hear what you're saying and, and try to make a difference. Um but that said very much as well going off of what Alex said in communities in I think it's it's a constant uphill battle to get past the the unconscious bias that just exists. Oftentimes people say things and and nobody it falls on deaf ears because nobody recognizes it really as as being out of line or going against the code of conduct. Mm -hmm. And, And so that makes things very challenging because you do have people who want to be inclusive, but they really just don't have the the knowledge to to recognize Always the moments when they need to take action, right? So I think that's that's the challenge.
1: Well, yeah, let's let's go into communities. Cause I know, I know, you know, Lisa has run big communities and is running big communities, and many of you have, right? So let's talk about inclusion in communities and how do we address that problem. So um, you mentioned one having policies in the first place is really important. I can remember years ago when policy, many codes of conduct did not even exist. Um, I worked at Linux Foundation prior to doing what I do now, and the Linux community was, didn't, in fact, was resistant to a code of conduct um, and eventually adopted one. And I think we all know Lena Torvalds, you know, st- what took some time off and reflected and came back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but we're seeing more people adopt codes of conduct now. Is that enough? Are there other policies you're adding? And then how do you enforce them? I'd love to hear from you all that run communities. Lisa, do you want to dive into that?
5: Yeah, sure. Um, well, going back to the allies again, this is, i you know, Courtney just said this, this is so important because we are so conditioned um, and the unconscious bias isn't just in the community. It's also in the community leaders, right? Including ourselves. We have been living this our whole lives. And I find that this is where allies are you know, they're they're not conditioned. If something is disrespectful, they'll notice it before I will in many cases. And they'll say, Lisa, you know, that, is, that was so wrong what that person just said to you. And I was like, oh, it wasn't that bad, was it? They're like, no, that's a definite violation of the code of conduct. And we have a zero tolerance policy, they are out. And, you know, I am I always try to be nice and be so inclusive and say, well, maybe I could talk to this person. Maybe we can, you know, we don't have to lose this community member. Um, but in the end, no, you have to. You have to set an example. You have to have a zero tolerance policy. And you can't let, and it's, you, you may lose one member, but the action of taking action will save hundreds, right? You're sending a message to the people in the community that you do care. Um, so I would say, if you don't, if those allies haven't showed up, nominate people. Have moderators and have moderators from the community for even your, you know, like a cockroach, we we have uh, community monitors for our public Slack channel that aren't employees of the of the organization. So make sure you find those folks and appoint them um, and give them jobs and and then you know meet regularly and do check ins and figure out you know how's it going and what can we improve on. Excellent, Alex. Do you have anything to add to that? I know you you talked about. Um...
1: Having these policies, moderating them. Do you have allies in your community that you turn to pretty regularly? Are there people that raise their hand to do this kind of thing?
4: Uh, I'm actually in a smaller community now where we haven't established those allies, so it's uh, it's really interesting hearing Lisa like call out that finding those people and having them early on is huge. I definitely agree with that. Um, Most recently I was at uh, Microsoft, which has like a whole program associated with this and it's already established. So it's interesting going between those two communities and seeing the difference in just how community members engage when they feel like, it's a comfortable safe space and it's a diverse space versus one that's smaller and not as established. Um, So yeah, finding those people and empowering them is huge. And also just having your regular users know the score. So like, yes, this this is not tolerated. This is not acceptable. Like Lisa brought up making an example of people or like setting that example is huge. Um, I firmly believe if there's a public problem, you should moderate it publicly because if folks only see the problem and not the solution, then it creates this like question mark on if you did something or if they just left, things like that. Um, So kind of being the pillar yourself and then building the pillars around you is huge.
2: Tiffany, Courtney, Ira, anything to add to that? Yeah, I'd love to add in. Um, I heard parts of what Alex and Lisa were sharing during the DOK students um, panel session, and it really changed how I thought about shared spaces, too. Because I run um, Twitch community, like I'm in a, Twi- I'm in the Twitch community, so I stream, and we've started to have like regular people come in, and we're talking about um, career development in tech. And there are people who are in the spaces that, you know, like you don't get to moderate who comes into the space, right? You, all you can really do is set the rules, um, n- notice when someone is being disrespectful and like, like Alex was saying, moderate it publicly for public spaces. And I think that's something that I learned a lot. And sometimes it's intimidating because, you know, when you take action, you know, that it, it, it it's impactful. And sometimes it's scary to be able to make an impact, right? Like, oh wow, I just sent someone out of this community, but the impact of that is that now people feel safer, or now there's this standard that we we've upheld, we've upheld, and people can uh, can feel like, okay whoever it was that took action, the moderator, community member, they care about this. There was an intention around this space. And I think that's something that sometimes goes unnoticed um, until you take action is like, What is your actual intention for holding the space? A lot of times people want to come in and they want to, they'll say something offhanded because they have like, they they don't understand the intention of the space, the purpose of the space. And I think one thing that a code of conduct does and taking action from it is actually really enforce that. So I just love everything that Lisa and Alex were were saying about um, setting and moderating, um, you know, just rules in a space.
1: Are there resources and and guidebooks or any kind of playbooks that you all would recommend for someone, maybe if you're just starting a community and and are trying to put these things in place? Lisa, Alex, anybody? Or good communities to turn to that you believe have really great policies.
4: It's Uh, it's interesting that you brought this up. Um, There's not really a perfect resource for this. Like we're all kind of building them as we go. Lisa might have some more resources, but uh, I would look at um, the Doxy, uh guidelines are quite good uh, as a place to start. And also this, um, it is super useful to get buy-in from your community on your code of conduct. So if you have a community already and you don't have a code of conduct, make that a public conversation like, hey, we're starting out where we wanna put this in place and get people's comments
5: and thoughts and
4: bring those diverse voices to the table to talk about what they want for their community.
5: Excellent. Yeah, and there there are starting points out there that are pretty good. Linux Foundation has, um, as you mentioned, Melissa has uh, kind of righted the ship and has. Um, published a bunch of stuff. Uh, the Red Hat community, we have an employee that came from Red Hat, and I think we used um, that as a template. Uh, some of their code of conducts that they've published are really good. Um, but also, just if you can go on people's GitHub repos, almost every um, GitHub uh, repo has a code of conduct for almost every company out there. And if they don't, put a little note of <laughs> flag an issue, um, but because they all should. And uh, so, Um, Like we had, when I first joined in Cockroach, we had one on our docs, but we didn't have one on our regular Cockroach TV. And I was like, what, where is this? And the community notices, you know, when people were coming and interviewing, that was a, especially in DevRel, that was a question I got a lot. Like, where's the code of conduct? Like, yeah, we're working on that. So people really do notice, but there are a lot of examples out there that you can um, grab. So you don't have to start from scratch.
1: Yeah, I think there was one, so um, Coraline Ada Emke started the Contributor Covenant, which is a baseline document, I think she did this like 10 years ago or something, because there wasn't a standard format for like a code of conduct, so she created one on GitHub and made it open and she still updates it even today, Um, so I know that's a starting point, in fact that was a starting point for Many of the like outreachy Linux Foundation, all these early kind of open source projects. Um, so there is a basis for it, but yeah, let's. That's interesting that there isn't a playbook, right? I think we're we're learning from each other and creating this as we go. There is an opportunity there. I'm feeling. Um.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think as well. Like I'm currently involved. We are building, starting to set the foundation to build a community at Cube Shop, um, and uh, it's it will be built around open source projects that are very diverse with incredibly diverse teams that are, that are building them. But a, in setting the foundation for it, one of our main things has been keeping in mind DE and I, um, for our code of conduct. And I have found everybody that I have reached out to about this to be incredibly open. They want to have these conversations. They're excited to have them. They're willing to talk about the elephant in the room, um, which is, incredibly empowering as well. Like Tiffany was saying, do you have a certain amount of power in, in making things better and trying to help a, make communities in, in general safe spaces. Um, but, but with that comes, comes a certain amount of intimidation and, and I have found it to be incredibly empowering to speak to peers in, involved in, in doing this and, and just learning immense amounts from people. Definitely.
1: Well, then, I, you know, L- Lisa, you mentioned um, some incidents in your community that happened that maybe were targeted toward you. I think we've all probably experienced unconscious and implicit bi- a bias throughout our careers, um, work or life, right? Um, I know I have. I've had so many incidents of things that have happened throughout my career, from little things like. Uh, I'm very consistently, um, the only woman in the room, um, being asked to take notes in meetings, (laughs) just, you know, simple things like that. It doesn't happen quite, quite anymore, but uh, it used to happen pretty frequently, um, and being interrupted constantly, um, men would then also take the thing that I was saying and make it their idea (laughs) and get credit for it. (laughs) Feeling some eye rolls. This might've happened to a few of you. Um, But then larger things too, like, you know, promotions and pay equity. I've had those, that has definitely happened to me throughout my career. So I'm curious, you know, you or some, if you've noticed these things um, to people that you know, or in communities that you're in, I'd love to hear you kind of share some
6: of those um, and how you dealt with them. Uh, Well, um, I'd like to say that everyone suffers from unconscious bias, even people who are more advanced in the diversity space, we still suffer from it. I do suffer from it myself. I think the first step is to be aware that you have this bias. Many people don't, don't have this awareness. and um, um, one way to mitigate this and try for Try to solve it is to make sure that you've got diversity in any decision making. Uh, if it's around hiring a person, you should try to have gender diversity, age diversity. Even when it comes to creating policies to work in the workplace or in any community, you also need to have diverse people there. Um, unfortunately, when you leave the decision making to a set of small people, then unconscious bias plays a, a, great, a great deal. I I have seen this happening to myself. I have been overlooked in the past for promotions and I have heard important people in my company saying, Oh, this, this guy, this young guy reminds me of me when I was his age." And then you listen to that and you think I'm never going to be the person that reminds you of yourself because I'm a woman and I'm from a different country because this happened when I was living in London. So um, it's terrible and it causes a lot of uh, suffering to people from diverse backgrounds. So I think it's very important to talk about the topic and also make sure that we've got diversity in any panel who is able to make a decision at work. Right and I mean
1: that has a lot of downstream effects right because if you don't get promoted you're, you're not you don't have the kind of finances that maybe a man does who then advances in their career Um, you might not take as many risks because of that, right? You might not start a company or build your app or whatever the thing is you want to do. So, I mean, it's not just that one promotion. It really does have a lot of downstream effects.
6: Um, Exactly. You will never be in the position of power where you can really drive change. So it's like a vicious cycle. Right, absolutely. Anybody
1: else want to share their experiences?
5: Well, I'll just, uh, I just mentioned something uh, in the chat. I think that we talked about this a little bit in the version one of this panel um, and uh, during DOK Students' Day. The the E, when we talk about D, E, and I, the E is so important. It's the accountability, right? And so I, I really encourage everybody when we're talking about D and I to always talk about D, E, and I, because if you don't have the accountability, nothing is going to change. And one of the things I love about the, my Current job in the company I work for is the accountability goes all the way up to the board level. So the diversity and inclusion numbers are tracked at the board level, which means the CEO is accountable. It's not buried in some HR department. It's not a numbers game they're playing, um, you know, to get media off their back or anything like this. It is an absolute you know, goal, it's part of our okras of the company, and it is measured all the way up to the top. And that is how it has to happen. And there has to be financial accountability. There has to be, you know, financial incentives. You don't hire a diverse team, you don't get your bonus, things like that, that will actually make change happen because without that we've been talking about this for years right i mean years and years and years um and in some cases as we pointed out in the beginning it's getting worse so i always look at a company and look at where the accountability is and who is accountable for making these changes
1: yeah i mean that goes tracks back to what we were saying at the beginning right if we can measure it then we can start to track progress against it so now we have the measurements we know this is a problem how can we actually start making the change i think one of the things that um We hear a lot about, we've heard a lot about recently is pay transparency, right? Pay transparency across the board. There are laws that have been put into effect where companies are now, I think it was Colorado, maybe a couple others where they're required to, employers are required to put salary ranges in their job descriptions when they post them. So there's not a lot of wiggle room, right? For someone to kind of like give a man more money or whatever. I mean, I certainly found out about a crazy pay range difference at one of my previous employers between myself and this person who was, much more junior than I was, getting paid a lot more than I was. Um, and um, so pay transparencies, we, we act, find companies who are actively in fact discouraging it. I mean, Google discourages this. I think Amazon discourages it. Um, do you think that this could help um, get us to that pay equity? Are there other things that you all have seen um, you think would be useful in changing the, the conversation and the metrics?
3: I think it's really, really important to have a certain amount of transparency, especially in the world we're living in today where teams are being employed around the world um this is this is something and a topic that has come up numerous times over the past few years um where I have been a working and participating in communities so obviously yes there's there's a difference in in terms of inflation depending on where you are but at the same time so all of that should be translated over into transparency in terms of wage no matter where you're located in the world you were doing the same job as someone else and so it, there should be be some amount of transparency about what people are making, and I think especially larger corporations who are totally trying to dodge the bullet on this one. It's really because they are getting massive amounts of of highly skilled labor for a very cheap price, and they just don't want people to know about it. Um, and And it's a responsibility of everyone to bring that to the forefront, because if we don't, this isn't this isn't even a gender issue. It do, it does start to become an issue in terms of a globalized workforce um and especially in a world like tech where you're already people are battling it out for talent i do believe that the companies that are more willing to be transparent about that will be the ones that will that will be able to pull in the better talent uh, and retain, retain them obviously right yeah there
1: was a company there was a story even i think in the past few weeks i don't remember the company's name but they had initially when people were moving out, it was, they were located headquartered in the Bay Area, people were moving out of the Bay Area during the pandemic because remote work became um, prominent and they were giving people a pay cut for moving outside the Bay Area. Instead, now they've almost reverted that and now they're paying everybody the same salaries because of the job, the value of the job versus where you're located, which, you know, that kind of is moving in the right direction. It's saying, okay, this is how much the job is valued at regardless of where you live or whatever other criteria. Um, Are you all seeing any other activity like that, that that gives us hope that we're moving in the right direction?
6: I think there's been a couple of tech companies recently who have decided to pay people the same amount of money, no matter where they work from. And there is this new trend, which is the digital nomad uh, theme, where people will consider traveling around the world and working from everywhere. I personally am supportive of paying everyone the same, no matter where they come from. However, uh, we have brought up this theme in, in several companies I've worked for, and normally companies are reluctant because obviously they are focused on profit. So they would tell you, this is a business and we are going to pay you according to the market where you're working. So it's a really tough problem to solve, but really unfair because this is end of the day modern slavery is the way I see it. Right. Yeah, I think
1: especially as Courtney was saying, right, this it's there's a lot of globalization going on and there's just disparity across the, you know, across all of that. There's disparity in America. There's a disparity. Then when you add this other layer of globalization. Um, so you, when we think about in the workforce, are there questions that you would tell an individual to ask their employers if they want to, um, you know, understand how a company is, um how inclusive a company is or diverse a company is and how, they, how much they care about that. Are there questions that you would recommend to someone that they ask their employer? I think one of the, the things that in the past decade, um, there was that, I think it was Netflix, it was circulating the co- company cultures who you hire, fire and promote. I think this was Netflix, it was based on Netflix company culture and they were really living your values. And it really does show you what a company values by who they hire, fire and promote. Um, So I'm curious if there are are things that you would suggest people um, ask their employer or potential employers.
4: So I have, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call this a rude filter question. Um, When I'm talking to someone who can potentially be my direct manager, uh, my big one is, what's the biggest challenge in managing a diverse team? Um, that one kind of bakes in the assumption that you're going to have a diverse team, but it also invites them to uh, show some red flags if they're going to, right? Like, uh, oh, we don't really talk about that here. Um, Something like that is huge red flag. But um, also as far as interviews, I really appreciate when I don't have to ask about DEI and when it's something that's in company culture, something they'll tell you about, whether that's going to be, in your recruiting call or somewhere in the process where they bring up like this is the kind of initiatives we do, things like that. I think it should be the forefront and it is a hiring decision and it is part of the like value for me coming in, right? So I like to see that from companies rather than me having to kind of angle in and figure out where they're at with it. Indeed.
6: Any totally other- agree with what Alex has said. To me, if there, diversity is not a topic that comes from the company side in an interview process, that's a big red flag. And I personally ask about it when I talk maybe to the hiring manager in the initial screening. I always ask what type of initiatives does this company have in regards to diversity, any type of nonprofit work that you are proudest of and you would like to share with me. Does the company have any objectives from DNI perspective uh, to understand if, like Lisa was saying, the executives are held accountable for this type of things? And um, if the answers to that is, I don't know, then uh, I'll just run away from there. Yeah. Yeah. If you're not talking about it,
5: you're, you're not solving the problem. And we know this problem is not solved. It's not even close to being solved. So unless you're proactively trying to solve the problem, um, you're not going to be part of the solution. So absolutely, it should be brought up by the company. I mean, just to you know, double down my colleagues here have just said, you shouldn't have to bring it up in an interview. I, I like that you have questions that can kind of get, get it out there, but it should be something that is being talked about in, you know, it right right away in interviews. Right, for sure.
1: Yeah, and if they're not, I think, yeah yeah, drawing it out and then coming to your own conclusions, right? You can ask for things like, do they conduct an equal pay assessment also, you know, that really try to understand how they manage salary. You can ask for a salary range, Um, which some states require they give you some don't. Um, Even things like maternity paternity leave policies to understand how they handle those types of things, right? Um, You know, these are all really good questions to advocate for what you think is important. Um, And so they understand what you think is important, in addition to what you know, whatever policies they have.
5: Yeah. And a lot of companies, especially smaller companies, they'll, they'll post a, you know, a page and about us and they'll have photos of all of the executives and you can go and look. And at the company I was at before um at my last one, we would, ha- I've had women say, you have no women on the website, <laughs> like not one. <laughs> and really there's not a lot of diversity at all on the website. And it was like, right down the stereotypical, you know, kind of customer facing jobs were mostly staffed by white men and um, engineering jobs are mostly are actually 100 percent staff by Indian men. And it was just right. The stereotype all the way down. Um, and people really do notice and they would ask about that. And unfortunately that company, I didn't have great answers. I was like, well, I'm working on <laughs> it personally. I was the first woman in the team. Um, but yeah, it's, um, go check out websites and right. see who, <laughs> <in> what positions. <laughs>
1: Well, sometimes they show their colors and sometimes they kind of like mask it a little bit, right? Because they'll put women on the site that maybe it's a stock photo. I mean, that's like the worst case scenario. I've definitely seen that, but maybe it's like the two women and they put them front and center on everything when it's like 90% men, right? So I think it's like, yeah, I think it helps absolutely go look at sites and then do some due diligence, right? And, And ask these questions in interviews and who are in positions of power, right? And really understand these things as you kind of um, assess a company. Um, Tiffany, Courtney, did you have anything you wanted to add? What other questions have you asked or um, would recommend to people?
2: Yeah, I love what you said about doing some due diligence on asking questions that matter to you. Like if you've been in, like all of us have been on teams where we were the only woman on the team, like we were the first female identifying individual on a team and like if you know that that led to bad experiences I always encourage people like follow up with those things you know if you're in a conversation with a hiring manager ask them like hey what is the makeup of the team currently you know what are you doing to build a diverse team you know are there team ceremonies that allow Um, for new ideas, for different ideas? Like what are the spaces that are available for someone who had, who thinks outside of the box to share their perspectives? You know, that's something that is important to me. I know that being able to feel comfortable in a meeting to share my ideas is really important. So like, what are the spaces that are available for individuals on a team to be able to do that? Like it's, assessing the intention, right? It, it goes back to the intention part. Like what is the intention for having this team? What What is the intention for holding these spaces? And I think everyone has like a different level of comfort in terms of like what is important to them, right? Like what's a, what's a red flag? There's different preferences. Like what's a red flag to me may not be for a, a red flag for someone else because it's not maybe a problem that they necessarily face often. And I think you can weed those out in an interview process, um, very strategically. Like, um, you know, some questions may be long with a recruiter. Some questions you don't want to ask the recruiter, but you want to actually ask in a hiring manager interview. And I think, like, understanding that there's also different parts of an interview process and, like, certain questions that will really hit home or find the red flags if you ask certain people is really important as well. Um, One thing that I realized that that helped me realize that is just even running like mock interviews right as like a recruit as a recruiter or as a hiring manager or as another engineer on the team like you play all these different roles and you get to see it as an engineering manager but I think a lot of times for folks who are newer in their careers or maybe they've only spent time in a single type of role or single type of position right may not have that much insight into who evaluates what and who has like who can you ask to be able to understand like, what is D and I, D and I like at a company?
1: That's interesting. Cause it's like the, you know, we've been talking about the zoom out, right. What is the company doing as a culture, et cetera. But then you're talking even zoom in, right. Zoom in and say in, uh, as we're in these meetings together, how do we interact? Right. That's really important too. So that people feel included and that voices are heard. Um, that's a really interesting point. I love that. Courtney, did you have something to add?
3: Yeah, uh, I would, the photos on the website have actually been asked to be the token woman on a website before um, <laughs> more than once. So uh, that did kind of make me chuckle. Um, but <laughs> I think another thing that you can ask people um, and should ask, no matter whether it's a recruiter or a hiring manager, is what you've listed values on your website, but what are the ones that are actually important and how do you actually live those a, and across teams? As well as for somebody like myself, a, what opportunities are you going to be creating for me through living these values? A Not just in terms of personal and professional growth, but as well in terms of a, relating with other people across teams and, and kind of promoting the way we're communicating with each other and, and the way we're actually working. A, I think in tech, especially, there's this concept just In software development about siloed workflows, but I think we also uh, lose sight of the fact that we get very much into the same siloed aspects of the rest of the human experience of working sometimes. And so asking how a company deals with that and how they're making people feel included is something that that I think you should definitely feel open enough to ask. And if you don't feel comfortable with whoever you're talking to, that, that itself is probably a red flag.
0: Yeah,
1: that's interesting. it kind of takes me back to um, allies. I think we've, t- we've kind of started at the beginning talking about allies and the importance of allies in our communities and in our work life. Um, our, how, how do we identify allies? How do we, if you want to be an ally, um, someone who is listening, who wants to be an ally, how do you get started in doing that? Do you all have um, suggestions or recommendations for how to identify someone and or encourage someone to become an ally?
6: In Twilio, for example, we have employee resource groups um, about different topics. We have one for women, we have one for people from Asian background, uh, Black ethnicity, and there there is a very simple process that anyone can follow to sign up as a member or as an ally. Um, So you just put the resources in front of people's eyes and they can uh, sign up as they want, and this has led to very good results. Excellent.
1: I know when, if you know, in talking about allies um, in different groups, I've been in. One of the first things we do is say, just kind of, like, if you want to be an ally, like assess assess the situation, look around you, see what's happening, who's talking, who isn't, who's participating, who's not. Um, you know, do you know people feel included? How do you know? Um, how do you know that they are or are or not are not? Um, and that's the first step is just kind of assessing what's around you and just being aware of that, um, aware of what is happening, because they might not think about it on a daily basis. You get in your own silo, you, you do your own thing. So how do you kind of open up that lens a little bit? Um, and there is a good resource that I'm sure there are many, but there's this I think it was guide to allyship dot com or dot. IO or something like that. Um, And it's a good read, like kind of starter playbook for someone who wants to learn how to be an ally, not just in work, but work in life. Um, Are there other ways that you all have been able to identify different allies and encourage them um, to participate?
5: Yeah, I, I, it is, a topic I'm very passionate about because everybody has something to contribute. And so a lot of times people are like, oh, I want to help, but I don't know how. There are so many different ways to help. And, um, you know, so if if you are an ally, I mean, don't, don't think that there's nothing you can do. Don't think, you know, maybe not every conversation is one that you have to be a part of, but figure out what the value that you can bring is and where you can help. And so, you know. We saw a lot of allies marching in the street after George Floyd's murder, but marching in the street isn't everybody's thing. You know, some people are more behind the scenes. Some people are, you know, more organized. And if you're a lawyer, you know, you can go help out, um, you know, during voting days and and help. You know, there's lots of places where legal fees or legal uh, legal skills are really really needed. Um, for me, the biggest thing allies can do is lend privilege and lend credibility. You have access to uh, power. Situations that we don't have access to, and so you know it's not just in inviting us to the dance and then asking us to dance and all of that. I mean, it's absolutely lending that privilege and lending that credibility and understanding how how you can do that. It's an easy thing to do. Um, so I, I give a lightning talk on it just so I can prove to people in five minutes that you can make a massive, massive difference, um, and it's something you can do every single day of your life. So that's usually where I start the conversation with someone who wants to be an ally. Love it.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll jump in as well because I think there were instances when people noticed when I could be an ally and invited me to have like a platform um, because they were in the positions where they were able to have those spaces and host them and use their platform to be able to do those things. Um, I attended a diversity panel one time, and it was at a work conference. And they were talking about DEI and i initiatives. And I heard some whispers in the corner where a bunch of people were saying like, oh, great, another diversity training, we don't need another one. And I remember getting so heated that I was like, oh, I need to say something. I, I just, someone give me the mic. <laughs> I raised my hand, I was so embarrassed. It was like, I think it was like my first week too at the company. So I was like, you know what, we'll just, we'll just say something because I feel really passionate about it. And people noticed that, like I, I got the mic and I was like, well, you know, yeah, yes, it's another training, but so, like, this is important, right? We talk about intention. We talk about how it makes a difference. If people feel comfortable enough to share their ideas, that's how we have a great team. That's how we make really great software. And I think sometimes that gets undercut. And if you, and, and that's, that's like one example of how I kind of showed up and used like said something about it you know and you change people's perspectives and for and and after that i think the next day uh one of the uh, managers of he he led up like one part of one one region he said, oh, I really liked what you said. I know not a lot of people heard it or not a lot of people understood it, but we should absolutely be doing more around awareness of the trainings, why it's important, like having these discussions, having spaces to these discussions. Would you like to lead more conversations or would you like to have this be a topic, see this be a topic in our next all hands? You know, and it's, it's something as simple as that. And this person was white, male, your traditional, you know, technologist you know, and that was something that I noticed. And like, it changed how I looked at allies too, because now as a, a manager leader, you get to notice people who care as well, who are passionate about the space, who are good examples of what it means to have a workplace culture that feels inclusive, is driven by, you know, the principles and the the future of what we wanna have happen, right? And I think it's it goes back to that because you can always, you a lot of people notice that, a lot of people will, will see it. And I think it's just around being able to um, trigger more instances of that so that you can invite more people moving forward right the more spaces you have the more opportunities people have to speak up the more you're able to identify the allies as as that comes as, as that progresses right
1: yeah and I think that's you mentioned something about um, you know diversity trainings and things like this and and um, we we all know we go to tech events and there's a diversity lunch or there's like a breakout or something like that. You know, It's like, well, what, can we just make these main stage events? Can we just make this a keynote? I tried to advocate for this at different events um, previously when I worked at LF and just saying, look, we need to have this conversation on the main stage. If we wanna build this bridge, let's take everybody along. Because I think sometimes people just aren't aware. Some people might be actively ignoring it, but some people just might not be aware. So let's create some awareness by having it be on the main stage where we have everybody's attention. Um, So, you know, I think that's one way we could make this more inclusive, right? Bring it to people's attention. When we have their attention, let's bring it there. Um, Are there other ways that you all have tried to bring this into, let's say, a main stage in work or communities, et cetera? So it's not a breakout or a luncheon?
3: I mean, I think just in my day to day, kind of going off of what Tiffany said and she stood up and she said something, she advocated for herself as well as for everyone else who just didn't know how to do that. Um, When somebody does that for you, which has happened to me numerous times, I just didn't really know how to do that earlier on in my career and had somebody do that for me. And it was an incredible learning experience for me to then become an ally in the future. Um, And I think being in a situation where somebody has advocated for you and learning from that to then step up and advocate for other people and make that a habit is really the only way that we're going to make a grassroots movement, right? So if somebody advocates for you, pay it forward and take a step and be courageous and advocate for the next person. It's incredibly empowering, not just for the person who's being advocated for, but for the person who's doing the advocating as well and being the ally. Because once you do it once, then all of a sudden it just starts to build. And so I think it's fantastic that Tiffany on her first week at a job just said, you know what, I'm going to set this boundary here right away and let people know what's up. Um, there should be more of that because I'm positive that after doing that, other people around her were then willing to go ahead and make that step so i think that's the biggest thing we can do very much like lisa said in your everyday you really do have a lot that you can do even just small things speaking up for somebody can make a huge difference
5: Yeah, and I think, Melissa, you asked about conferences in specific, Um, some things I've seen done really well, and actually uh, the Linux Foundation has been great at this, um, is the mentorship programs. A lot of open source communities have actually been very good at weaving mentorship programs into part of the conferences. And then hopefully those programs continue. I, most of the people I've mentored, I, I will mentor for the rest of my life if they want it. You know, it's just, it's a lifelong relationship. It's just not something that happens during the week of the conference, but it is, it can start there. And a lot of conferences have done a good job working mentorship programs. in. Um, the other thing I really love about the LF is the Diversity Scholarship Fund. Um, a lot of corporations contribute to it. I would encourage everybody here, if you are, you know when you buy your booth at, you know the, the big trade show also put side part of your budget to contribute to the diversity scholarship funds, because that brings a lot of people to conferences that wouldn't have a chance to be able to come to the conferences. Um, and so it's a small part of equaling a playing field, and but a really important part for us. And just think about it as part of your trade show budget, just put it right. in as part of your budget and every single time you do a show contribute to it. And if we all do that, um, I think we can make a big impact.
1: Totally agree. cosine.
5: <laughs> and it sounds like there was a
1: comment on YouTube. It says, making DEI talks keynotes also shows the importance of it to the community and the organizers. Absolutely agree, right? I think this is all that we're saying, right? Let's underscore it. We want to make it main stage. It's really important. It, sh- it shows that we believe that this is um, something we all need to participate in. Um, I know we're getting to the end of the hour. Um, uh, I don't know, Bart, if you're going to come back on and wrap things up, but um, any other closing comments, thoughts, recommendations you have for people in terms of how to, uh, if they don't know how to get started with knowledge around DEI, where to start, or if they are um, trying to do this in their organizations, if you have any resources or recommendations for people.
6: I would recommend to anyone who's trying to get started with DNI in their org that They arrange some focus groups and they talk to the people that are part of the org to try to understand how they feel uh, every day when when they go to the office because you discover lots of things just by talking to people and then you can work together to try and solve the issues.
1: Any other parting words of wisdom from our group?
2: Yes, I'll add in that I really loved what the comment said um, and what you said Melissa about just the fact that how like the how we can how we show up matters when it comes to these conversations like there are so many times when it is just a you know a a D and E and I conversation it is just a room in a closet at a conference or a dinner that's separate and it only involves people who are like gonna be there right like it it matters how we show up even um, people who lead up these conversations or initiatives it matters how you show up how you have the conversations so I guess one parting um, recommendation for organizations that are looking to do this like involve people who are truly passionate like bring in allies have conversations be willing to have brave difficult conversations and it's okay to get it wrong like it's okay to get it wrong um, and not have it right, but Im- invite people into the spaces so that you can get it right. Right? There's this really great saying that it's less about being right and more about getting it right, and it's by Brené Brown, and I really love that because it's just this idea that it, like we can go on this journey together. It's not just something that you know women have to drive alone or underrepresented groups have to drive alone. Like that's not how we make change. And you know if we want to do that, we have to be able to include other people.
1: Lovely. And let's end with that. That was beautiful. Thank you all for participating. Really appreciate this. Um, (laughs) We will have this conversation again, I'm sure. Really appreciate the time today and hope uh, people who uh, logged in enjoyed it. Thanks so much.